Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, I have to say that the conference has been uh, just a blessing for me. I think all the speakers would say that, and my last chance to speak will be to thank you for inviting us and having us in and um, um, being so gracious and hospitable to us. And we appreciate the ministry that you have here, the Stand for the Clear Gospel of Grace that you have here. Um, and uh, just uh, keep following uh, keep following. Jesus and your leaders uh, as you grow in grace. Um, it seemed to be quite an ambitious conference, tackling the whole book of Hebrews, um, but it seemed to work. The real miracle of the conference was keeping four preachers to 30 minutes each for every session. And I don't have to worry about who's following me, but I'll try to be careful and adhere to that principle. Um, but thanks very much. So I'd um, uh, love to keep in touch with you, and the best way to do that is through our newsletter. We have a printed one. We have an uh, electronic digital one that comes out every other month, and the printed one every month, and it tells you what we've been doing and uh, what we're going to be doing, and I'd love to keep in touch with people that way. So feel free to pick a newsletter or two up. We're in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's hard to turn the TV on these days, as you know, and, and see some of the things that are going on as close as Kenosha, Wisconsin, and uh, see the rioters and the looters uh, and the lawlessness going on. You say, why are they doing that? Well, it's a political grab for power. Yeah. It's a political grab for TVs. <laughs> or it's a, a greedy grab for TVs. Yeah, it's that. Do you know why they're really doing it? Because this life is all they have. This world is all they have. As the, as the poet said, uh, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. It's a hedonistic viewpoint of someone who believes there is no tomorrow, there is no future for us, so let's get all that we can in this life. When I look at them that way, I feel sorry for them. Hard to feel sorry for people that are acting like that, but I do feel sorry for them. They have nothing but what they can get in this life. So they scream for it, and they yell for it, and they steal it, and they kill people for it. You and I don't have to live that way, do we? We're living for another world. And that means we're living by faith. And that's what Hebrews is all about. Hebrews, as you know, is called the Hall of Faith because it lists so many characters who are witnesses or <clears throat> testimonies to what it means to live by faith and wait for that kingdom of God. And so we have a long list of people. Uh, we are in our, the way I outlined the book, we talked about the superiority of the person of Christ and the superiority of the priesthood of Christ. Now we're in a section I call the superiority of the believer's walk. So it's more of a practical session. How does, how does we then to live because of who Christ is and how we are related to him as his partners, companions. And so the context really should follow Dr. Paul's message that he'll deliver tomorrow at the end of chapter 10. And I'll just look at it. I won't, I won't preach it, promise, but verse 36 says, You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, 
you may receive the promise. It just kind of so much sums up the book of Hebrews right there. Endure so that you can receive the promise. And then he goes on to say, but yet for a little while, he who's coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. So now the idea of faith is introduced. But if anyone draws back, turns away, neglects his salvation, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Uh, I'm pretty sure Dr. Paul is going to explain that very well tomorrow, but the saving of the soul is not justification. He's talking about bringing in the full blessings of our salvation uh, in the future, full deliverance of salvation that we enjoy through Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. So in chapter 11 then, since he's introduced the idea of living by faith, He's going to talk about uh, the nature of faith um, in verses 1 through 3, and then many examples of faith. And don't worry, I'm not going to go through all these examples of faith, because there's a lot of them we'd never make it through, even if we only gave 10 seconds to each one of them. So verses 11 through 3 are really crucial because it sets the, the tone for the chapter, explaining or describing what faith looks like. Some call it a definition of faith. I don't have a problem with that. I think he's just telling us what faith looks like. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word substance has the idea of uh, being assured of something. So some versions actually translate it that way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Uh, Assurance, we say, is of the essence of faith. When we believe something, we're convinced or persuaded that is true. Now, that's how I would technically define faith. It is being convinced, persuaded that something is true or trustworthy. So we are sure of it. If we, if we have doubts, then we really don't have faith. So faith is the opposite of uh, doubt. And then he goes on to say, it's also the evidence of things not seen. And that word evidence has the meaning of conviction. It's actually translated that way in uh, the NASB. The NIV translated certain, being certain of things not seen. And so it's a word that, that means, uh, has to do with proof and convincing facts. So faith in itself is such an assurance that it convinces us of things that we do not see. And by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. That word testimony is the word from which we get the word witness. And so Jeremy just talked about the great cloud of witnesses. Well, we're going to meet them right now. We're going to meet the hub of that crowd of witnesses that are in heaven uh, presently cheering us on and our life of faith. He says in verse 2, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made by the things which are visible. Now here is an example of faith he points us to. He says, we understand that the worlds, the worlds were created from nothing, uh, ex nihilo, from nothing. And uh, uh, we understand that by faith. How many were here, besides Roger, were around at creation? <laughs> I'm actually older than Roger. None of us were there, but we believe the worlds were created, right? Of course we do. And we believe it. God's word testifies to it that it was created from nothing. 
Now, we, we have the evolutionists telling us about a big bang, that, and that takes more faith than, uh, than understanding that God created it. They say that something was created from nothing. By accident, we say something was created from nothing by a God with purpose and intent. He goes on, he, that's an example of what faith looks like. And in the same way that we can believe what happened in the past through faith, we can also believe what's going to happen in the future by faith. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about, and that's what he's talking about. These examples, these witnesses of faith are looking forward to something. And to them, it was as real as if they possessed it. It was as real as the created world to them. They were assured of it. They were certain of it. They were convinced of it. And he gives examples of them, uh, one by one, and in groups of people even. And the first one is by Abel. Uh, by faith, Abel, you know, offered an offering. I'm not going to get into each one of these. The point is, is that Abel followed God's direction in a way that required faith and the way that Cain did not. But what he says next is very interesting. I'm sorry, the, that next is Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he not, did not see death. If you remember the story in Genesis uh, about Enoch, it tells us that uh, he, was, uh, he walked with God. And um, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. Interesting thing is that Enoch didn't do anything like many of the others are credited with doing any particular deed or anything. He just, was, uh, he just walked with God. And, uh, and God was pleased. In fact, the Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew into Greek, when they translate the Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, where we read, he walked with God, the Septuagint translates it into the Greek as he was pleasing to God. And that leads into the next verse, without faith, we can't please God. But he was pleasing to God, so pleasing to God, look, God looked out at him and said, well, I really, there's no, really no work left to do with you, Enoch. I'm just going to, why don't you just come out and hang, up, hang out with me up here? <laughs> and he pressed the golden buzzer. And, and he, Enoch, is, Enoch didn't have to go through all the tests and the trials and the and the performances and the judgment on this earth, he just went straight to, straight to Hollywood, straight to God. God pressed the golden buzzer on him. But he was pleasing to God. And then that leads to the next verse where he, he tells us the importance of faith. Um, in verse 6, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith, we're, the Bible tells us we are to walk by faith. Why do we walk by faith? Because faith is how we access the grace of God, which is the help that we need to run the race, to persevere, to endure, to, to seek and live for the future. Romans chapter 5 tells us uh, we're, we're saved by grace and we have access to, to this grace through faith. So God can have all the grace in the world, he does, but it's no good to us unless we access it by believing him for it. And so if grace is the key principle of our salvation and our future. Faith is the key principle by which we access that grace. And if we don't have that faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible to please God, because what's the alternative? The alternative of faith is to struggle on our own, to ignore God's help, to say we can do it by ourselves. 
And that, that is somewhat of an insult to God. It would be like uh, a child or needy person refusing your help. How do you feel about that? When you have all the ability to help them in the world and they, they turn you away? Well, we don't want to be guilty of that. Um, so without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That's a good starting place. Believe that he exists. You have to come to him. You, you believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So God will not refuse help to those who really need it. The challenge to me when I read this verse is always uh, the fact uh, that it's impossible to please him without faith. So what am I trusting God for right now? And the context is trusting God, I think, to, to faithfully endure in, in this world for the next world, to live for the next world. But a life of faith is always pleasing to God. And if we're not trusting him for something, then we're really not pleasing to him. If we have all things figured out and we can do everything in our own strength, then we're really not walking in the spirit or walking by faith. So what I would just pause to say, what are you trusting God for? Are you pleasing God? Are you living your life on a supernatural level that can't really be explained by your, uh, through your circumstances or someone's logic. Anyway, faith then is the persuasion or confidence and trustworthiness of something, uh, the assurance of things not seen. Now, notice that I want to make one point here too, that <clears throat> because this is sometimes misunderstood and misused. For example, he says uh, in verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. There's some people who want to define faith differently. They want to call it obedience. They say faith is obedience. And that leads, that what that does is, since we're saved by faith, that leads to a faith by obedience. There are some very popular, prominent uh, Bible teachers, Lordship Salvation teachers, who teach this, that salvation is by faith, but that faith is obedience, or that it's a faith that obeys. The point is, is that there are, there are those who teach that faith is obedience. And they use a passage like, um, and they use it to teach that it's not just believing in Jesus Christ, but it's obeying him and submitting your life to him and things like that. And so by faith, Abraham obeyed. They would use a passage like that. When they do that, that's called, that's called defining a term by, it, by using the term. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And that would be what we call tautology or circular reasoning kind of. Um, it, it doesn't make sense. Instead, we ought to understand that faith is the root and obedience is the fruit. Because Abraham had faith, he obeyed. He had faith, that's the inner conviction something was true. Because he had that, outwardly he obeyed. He followed through on his faith. So just wanted to make that point about our understanding of faith that is often misunderstood and and ill-defined to support a very bad theology. Well, what is the point of these examples that we have, Abraham and, and, uh, and Isaac and he goes on to talk about Sarah, and all of them by faith. I want to uh, mention that the point of these examples is they showed a need to endure faithfully to receive the promise, because it talks about all of them were believing God for something they did not see. They didn't turn back, but they persevered by faith, and their faith was pleasing to God. And that's how they qualify for entrance into the hall of faith. And so the necessity of faith is in 
chapter six, uh, chapter eleven, verse six. Uh, he who comes to God, I think it's not just coming to God in, in any general way, but coming to Him for the grace to help, to find the grace to help, to endure faithfully, to draw into His presence, which we've seen uh, as a common theme in the book of Hebrews. Like I mentioned before in chapter 4, verse 16, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. So um, rather than go through all the things, I, all the people here, I want to look at a couple places I think that have some important uh, insights for us. Verses 13 through 16 talks about the homeland of faith. He kind of interrupts his list of talking about people to talk about this homeland that they were looking for. He says in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They didn't receive the promised kingdom uh, in this life, and the blessings in this life, but they saw them, and that was real to them. They saw them, and they, it was as good as theirs. But those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they called to mind the country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. Now, the idea of um, that he mentions like Abraham living in a tent. Why did Abraham live in a tent? He never built a house. Lot built a house, his nephew did. Lot settled down. Abraham never built a tent because he never considered this Canaan, the promised land, his homeland. He was looking for another place, another city, not built by hands. Uh, and, the, and the whole idea of a city tells us that it's a permanent dwelling place that they were looking for. And we know that to be uh, the new Jerusalem, um, the kingdom of God, the final home for God's people. And so the homeland of faith was looked far off to them, but it was as real as if they possessed it now and they clung to it. It was a land of promise. You know, if it, there are some people here, I mean, they're not here, but there are some people uh, today that believe, many people who believe that we are in the kingdom of God, that we, that, that's called amillennialism. We're in the kingdom now. Um, I would say, first of all, turn on the TV and look at the news, and, you, and you'd be convinced pretty quickly we're not, but that, that, that doesn't really convince them. Um, but think about it this way. If, if Abraham was looking for heaven, if he was promised a heavenly country, uh, why didn't he just stay in Ur? He, if, 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 in other words, if his possession was just a, a heavenly kingdom, why didn't he just stay in Ur and enjoy it there? He didn't because he was being obedient to God and looking to receive that promise in the future. And Abraham never looked back from verse 15. It says, if they had called the mind, or if they had thought about the country which they come, they would have had opportunity to return. But Abraham never returned to Ur. And when it came time to find a, <clears throat> think about this, when it came time to find a wife for his son Isaac, he didn't take him back. He sent his servant with Isaac. Abraham was where God wanted him to be. And he never looked back. And then the future, the other passage I want to look at after he goes on to name many other uh, examples of faith is in verses 39 through 40. And uh, 
it talks that there about the future reward of faith. And all these, he says, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So all these folks, and he had listed these people who got sawed in half, who were burned, who were uh, stoned, were slain with the sword, etc., lived and wandered as pilgrims on the earth. All of these people didn't receive promise, but had a good testimony. That word testimony again comes is the idea of a witness. They didn't receive the promise, but God have, but having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The us, I think, would be the author relating to the New Testament believers, himself included, that they would be these Old Testament examples. So God has something better for all of us so that those Old Testament example, examples would not just enjoy the benefit, but we have that privilege as well. Again, the word better used how many times in Hebrews? 13. A key idea in the book of Hebrews. Everything is better. Everything is better. Waiting for the future reward is better than trying to take it in this life. Let the looters loot. Let the liars lie. Let the killers kill to get what they want in this life. There's something better for those who are willing to wait for it. To live a life of faith, trusting in God. To appropriate His grace in this life's journey and to run this race and to finish it well. Something else I wanted to point out about the passage is the support for premillennialism that we see here. Premillennialism is, of course, the idea that Jesus comes and, and sets up his kingdom. So he comes before the millennial kingdom and establishes it, as opposed to amillennialism, which believes that we're in the kingdom now. But if you look here, he's talking about a land of promise. It's a literal land, and it alludes to the kingdom of God in Hebrews. You can look at verses 9 through 10. So a literal land was promised to these people, and there will be a literal kingdom, and there will be a literal throne with a king on it, Jesus, the son of David. And they looked for earthly and temporal blessings, according to verses 14 through 16, a homeland. And I already made the point, if, if it was heaven that was in view, why didn't Abraham just stay in Ur and enjoy it there? And if heaven was in view, they would have received the promise, but they didn't. They're still waiting for it. So they're waiting for a literal kingdom where there'll be a literal rule of Jesus on the throne of David, and we will be there. And those who are his companions, who faithfully endure, who appropriate God's grace to run the race with faith, his, compa his companions, his metachoi, will rule with him. A special privilege. It's faith. When he talks about the whole epistle, he's talking about enduring and persevering, and it's faith that keeps us enduring because faith accesses the grace that gives us the strength and the power to endure. It's faith that brings us uh, to the promise, brings us the promise to us um, as, we, as we wait, just like they waited patiently for that, that homeland, that city built without hands. So no matter what trials we're going through, 
difficulties we're going through, uh, faith can carry us through those to the end. You may never get sawed in half. You may never get killed by the sword uh, and these kind of things, but we have our share of trials in life. And faith will give us the victory in those trials and through those trials, and nothing can take, take our future away from us. In recent days, I've been talking to uh, individuals who are facing death almost uh, daily, and I, I marvel at the faith that I see in them. Uh, one having gone through a heart operation and actually died twice on the on the table, um, has is in such pain and discomfort, and that she has said, you know, I just want to go be with Jesus, <laughs> but. Um, but she has the faith to continue on as long as God wants her here. Another one having such problems with her body that, again, she says, you know, I'm ready to go to be with Jesus. I just think my husband wants me around a little bit longer. But I, I just look at their faith and I marvel and I, I wonder if I were in their situation, if I, if I would handle it the same way. It keeps them enduring through that difficult time. I think God will give us the grace when we need it. We call it dying grace. We don't need dying grace until we're dying. And faith pleases God, a life that is trusting in him. And that's why it's a kind of a key thought in the scriptures that the just shall live by faith. So the question is, what are you trusting him for today? And your struggles, can they be explained by um, your own your own strength dealing with them, or are you looking to God for his strength? Which world are you living for? Are you willing to wait for your reward instead of trying to take shortcuts or cheat your way to it in this life? Some are willing to kill to get their reward now. Some are willing to die to get their reward later. Again, I marvel at uh, people I know and have met in life and ministry Missionaries who devote their lives overseas, willing to die in the countries to which they go. Um, of course, today we can fly them home, but you know, in years past, people like Adoniram Judson went to Burma in, the, in his day, and he went there with the intent of dying there. Uh, and he, indeed, he ended up dying in a ship off the coast, but uh, his wife died there, his children died there, uh, because he wasn't living for this world, he was living for that world. I can name missionaries today who have spent their whole careers overseas, and they probably won't die there. Their missionary boards will probably retire them and bring them home, but they're willing to, is the point, and I marvel at their faith. So what are we hoping in for the future? We're looking for a kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not going to come in Air Force One. I know how I'm going to vote, but I don't put my hope in politics. I don't put my hope in politicians. Weak and fallible men. I don't put my hope in world systems. When people say, well, how can you vote this way or that way? I say, well, I just vote for the lesser of two evils. But this is not my home. My citizenship's in heaven. My future's in the kingdom of God. Meanwhile, I'll try to be a responsible citizen and vote responsibly. We have to remember we're living for a different world. And the reward is yet to come. It's not in this life. And uh, sometimes that's hard, hard to, um, hard to uh, digest when we live a comfortable life. We're surrounded by a lot of comfort, but there are many people in the world 
who know what it means to live by for tomorrow because they're living such sparse and sacrificial lives today or being persecuted, suffering for their faith. But um, in some ways, I envy them. They have a better understanding of what it means to live for the future. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.